Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Are Maroon and Gold, a podcast featuring me, Chandler Alsbecker. And me, Aaron Williams. Aaron, I suppose there's not really a proper intro to do today. Um, we did have birthdays last week. Yeah. This week, actually. This week. But I don't think there's really anything to talk about there. Even not, I a, lot con- not a lot of content. No, no. I, I, you and I talked off the air, and it seems like we, we both kind of for the days themselves went in a pretty low key direction. Yes. But I do want to talk about the new Big Ten schedule for 2024. Yeah, looks hard. It does look hard. And I'm kind of annoyed by the way it's set up. Like it, it is what it is, like the difficulty, like, you know, it. I, I hate that the other four teams are joining, but like, um, you know what? What? What can? What can you do? Um, but I, I'm I'm really bothered by the the ordering of the games. Where the Gophers they have three home non-conference games to open the year. That is pretty standard. The Gophers they alternate between having four home conference games and having four away games. You know, every other year in the the years that they have. For conference home games, they play three non-conference home games to get up to seven. And when they have uh, five Big Ten home games, they play two non-conference home games. And this is one of those years 2023 is, which is why they went to North Carolina. And two years before that, they went to Colorado. And two years before that, they went to Fresno State and so forth. But 2024 is an even year, and that means they're going to play for Big Ten home games, and they're not r- really spread out in a way that I like. First, you've got the three non-conference games to start off the year, leading right into the Iowa game in week four, which means you got four straight home games, followed by the trip to the big house right after that, then coming back for another home game, your, your fifth home game in six weeks, then on the road to UCLA, the first bye week because it's a leap year, extra week on the season calendar. Home to Maryland, road against Illinois, and then Rutgers, followed by your second bye week. And uh, I guess that would be week uh, 12. Then you finish the year home against Penn State and then away at Wisconsin. And um, I, I the, the reason I don't like it is if the home games are incredibly front loaded when when you play four straight to open the year and then a, a fifth just two weeks later. Um, that means you get one November home game. That means you get one late October home game and a lot of sitting and watching games on your couch between yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and uh, as someone who as a season ticket holder who likes to go to games, I just, uh, it, it kind of sucks when, when everything's so crammed into the front part of the year, especially since this is a, a dumber conference geographically, so your road games are not as easy to go to. I'm going to try to go to the big house next year, which I guess means I'll be going to six straight football games in six weeks. Um, and I might go to Camp Randall, but Champagne is a little hard to get to and not that interesting. I've done it before. But your other road games are Rutgers, which is a no. 
that's that's really far away if you're in Minneapolis and then UCLA which is obviously roughly as difficult as getting to New Jersey so um, it, it just kind of enters an awkward situation where there, you you have everything all at once and then suddenly you have none of it and that's just really annoying to me yeah I get that I get that it's also tough from a football standpoint I mean, while it's nice to have, you know, games up front where you're sort of getting your feet wet, you know, it's more difficult to play on the road. Um, and those big pivotal games down the stretch, theoretically, I mean, I guess who knows what they'll mean with getting like a schedule like this. But, you know, you'd like you'd like those big atmospheres, you know, down towards the end of the end of the end of the season, I'd say. And instead you have maybe one, maybe two of those. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I guess your your only big home game, big-ish, I mean, it, so like I think we're going to learn a lot about who the Gophers are and probably everything leading into that first bye week. Like, yeah, because when you start out with North Carolina week one, conference, your next two non-cons are Rhode Island and Nevada. And as far as I know, Nevada is not going to be good next year because they're still bad. Um, you know, you got your kind of tune up, tune up, warm up, whatever games. But then Iowa, Michigan, USC, UCLA, all back to back. That's, you know, what, whatever we can say about a resetting Michigan or a resetting USC or probably just okay UCLA um, and a, an Iowa team that might still be really, really bad on offense. Um, that is sort of, you, you will have played five really solid P5 programs to that point. And then your next three opponents are Maryland, Illinois, Rutgers, who you don't really think should be threats. Um, and then it's Penn State is your, your last home game. So, um, you know, ba basically it could be a situation where if like the, the first seven games are really going to set the tenor for the rest of the season of how we feel about this team. And obviously, you want the relative gimmies in October and early November, um, or at least the games that will be, you know, more of a, an even um, matchup. But, but I don't know, it, it feels very front-loaded and then just still awkward with the home-away distribution. So I don't know how much stakes you're going to get in, in November beyond, like, don't get in your own way. And obviously, the Wisconsin game means something, but Penn State probably won't mean anything maybe i'm not really sure no other observations it makes me sad to see oregon washington thanksgiving weekend because it means no apple cup and no game formerly known as the civil war there's no friday games for now other than nebraska iowa i understand that fox is really pushing for more friday night football because they lost the uh the rights for, I think, WWE, some wrestling organization, whether it was WWE or something else. And they want to have inventory for Friday nights. So right now, as far as we know, the Gophers won't have any Friday night games, but uh, I'm somewhat suspicious seeing a slate that has no Friday games other than Black Friday. So I would prepare yourself for the possibility of like Maryland or something being bumped to Friday sometime in like March or April or something like that. PTSD from 2020, but yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I hate Friday Night Games for the record. I, it, it like it, it's the the game I watch the least frequently. If it doesn't involve a team I care about, I don't like the uh, the, the awkwardness of the you know not having the game day thing and also not like you know I, I liked the opening Thursday deal because it's it's a it's a you know the start of the season it's whole it's its whole thing but Friday just feels awkward and also high school football is on Fridays and I come from a state where that matters I I, I hate that like in a couple weeks you and TNSMU are going to be playing on a Friday night which in the Metroplex is even wilder to me did you have any thoughts, uh, whether from a Gophers perspective or just, you know, this strange and kind of awful new world we have? No, I mean, we knew the schedule was going to be tough. I mean, that's, again, the thing I take away from it. I mean, it just seems, I mean, it's really that that run in the middle of the season. I mean, I know UCLA could vary from good to very good. USC will probably be very good. Um, but, you know, Michigan will probably be another, I mean, I, I know they're under scrutiny right now, but they, in all likelihood will be a very talented team. Um, Iowa is always tough. I mean, that run in the middle, I mean, like, I guess I'm just echoing sort of what you said that, you know, it's going to be a, you know, we're going to learn a lot about this team. Right. Um, so I, you know, you, if you can get some of those, that'd be, that'd be great, but that'll be, That'll be a really tough, uh, tough slate, I think, in, in particular. And I, I will go on the record here as I think Michigan and USC will both have new coaches next season for different but similar reasons. I think both their coaches will be in the NFL next fall. But, but Brady Hoke went 11-2 and two in his first year at Michigan. So, you know, whoever they get to replace Harbaugh at Michigan or USC – will still have a lot of really good players and, and could have some things go well for them in that first year. So, uh, yeah, those, those will still probably be very tough, very tough opponents. But I, I'm more or less out of talking points on the schedule. Yeah. Uh, we obviously have something in the neighborhood of eight, nine months to, to really think about what it all means and everything. But... Uh, Recently, there was an actual football game to talk about, not one so far off in the future. We don't even know what times they are or what other games will be happening at the same time. Gophers won 27-12 against Michigan State on Saturday. It was a, a, a somewhat shaky start because there were, on their first two drives, a fumble by Sean Tyler, then a fumble by Ethan Kalik Manis that were both recovered by Michigan State. And you think, oh, this this could be something of a, a hole to, to get your, yourself out of. But um, the defense did well, held Michigan State to two field goals. And from there, after another couple not great drives from Minnesota, they went and rattled off 27 consecutive points. And Jordan mm -hmm. Newbin had an over 200-yard game, which um, I, I looked up you know, the, the, the history of 200-yard rushing performances in in, in, uh, in this program, and he's only the 18th guy to do it. Um, and some of the guys who have done it are Chris Darkins, Lawrence, Malone, uh, Lawrence Maroney, Muhammad Ibrahim, Daryl Thompson, Rodney Smith, both Marion Barbers, Amir Penix, like lots of, you know, big, big-time 
players. And then the fifth string walk-on, uh, yeah. who's, you know, a, a lot of people might see as being on the roster as a favorite to his much more famous and honestly more talented brother. Uh, but he went out and he got some good blocking and he took full advantage of it and he looked he looked like he at least belonged in a rotational role in a um in a good team's backfield. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um he wasn't nearly as explosive as the guys that were previously or that are still are the you know, the injured guys that were headed him on the depth chart, but he looked really, really solid. And you know, the offensive line I thought played well for the most part. You know, he just he made the most of his opportunity. He he ran for, you know, plopped ahead for five, six, seven yards, seemingly on almost every carry, you know. It wasn't flashy, you know, to use that cliche term, but it was he was very he was very, very effective. And you just you gotta feel good for again a walk on a guy that really hadn't played much at, at this level, you know, prior to that, going out there and you know, playing the game of his life. And it may be it may, it may be his shot, you know, I, I, depending on the, these other injuries. I, we don't know, you know, we don't know how much he's going to play going forward. But, you know, good for him for going out there and taking, you know, making making the, making the most of it. Yeah, uh, P.J. Fleck had talked about Jordan Newbin in, in, in the terms of, like, someone who would potentially have to get carries at some point. Not necessarily, like, predicting that he would need to be thrown into the fire like this because he's your fifth string running back, but maybe someone who in 2024 would be the third stringer behind Evans and Taylor. So there was some indication that like the coaches did like him because, you know, he he plays a lot of special teams for them and, and everything, but we, we weren't necessarily expecting this. And it's, it's really cool that he got this type of game. He, increased his, uh, I guess I don't know the math here, but his, his previous total rushing yards before Saturday was, was that 50 yards, if I'm not mistaken, around there? If that, uh, yeah. Four-fifths of his three rushing yards came in that game. So um, pretty significant day for him, and he might be needed going forward, depending on where Evans and Taylor are with their injuries, and depending on how the coaching staff is going to trust Sean Tyler for fumbling. But, you know, at the very least, you, you saw a guy who can do the job. And that's all you can really ask for a guy so far down the depth chart is, is do the job, do it adequately. And he may never come close to anything like that again. But you know what? He, he did a fine enough job. And that that's something. Yeah, I think it speaks to coaching, too, that a guy that far down the depth chart is able to come in and and the offensive line in this game and I don't know. I just it's just it's a good it's a good thing to see happen. It's it's reflective of a you know when we when you are able and it's been it's something we've done really well consistently over the last really the last twenty years, but especially in the PJ era. It's just and it's, it's often been with more I hate to say talented backs, but you know a lot of times more talented backs. Um, but just the plug and play nature of it. Just you know somebody goes down, next man up. You know, if it's a running back, you 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 can feel confidence that they will come in and do a good job, and that's because it's just happened so much in the last five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah, and the thing with I, I think it's fair to point out coaching because the thing with Newbin is it's clear his athletic shortcomings. Like he he's he's strong, 
but he's not like, you know, a mauler or anything. He's quick, but he's not super fast. Uh, he, he's, he's got good balance. He, he's got, you know, he, it's clear he's a division one athlete, but he was also recruited as a, or he joined the roster originally as a safety and was converted to running back in the great emergency at that position a couple years ago. And he didn't have to play then. He's gotten into some garbage time since then. But I, I, you can tell, like, he's he's taken to the coaching. And I don't know how much running back he might have played in high school, but he knows where to run. He has good vision. He has patience. He knows where to find his hole. And these are the exact traits that we've been expecting from Dwarf running backs for a long time. It's it's what Rodney Smith had. It's what Muhammad Ibrahim had, in addition to many other things. It's what Darius Taylor and Zach Evans have. Um, this, this is a guy who knows what he's doing with the ball. His body isn't, you know, he's not Braylon Allen or anything, but he's he's got enough athleticism to get by, and he's he's definitely got the smarts. So, uh, yeah, I, I I agree. He's he's definitely taken to the coaching. Yeah. As far as other things, anytime you can uh, hold a team to zero points for pretty close to three whole quarters, that's a good day. Cody Lindenberg was back and. He looked fine. I don't think he made a huge impact, but Tayton Hauser, the Michigan State quarterback, he had 117 passing yards and 64 of those yards came on two plays. He was not very effective. The The Spartans didn't ask him to throw downfield very much. The Gophers made tackles short of the sticks and uh, the rushing attack was basically shut down entirely until they, they put in Sam Levitt, the, the true freshman, who's Turned out to be a really good runner, but it was so late in the game, you know, giving up one touchdown was not going to be the end of the Dwarfers, especially after they got the onside kick. So, and then picked off Levitt uh, near the goal line later. So everything turned out pretty okay. The Dwarfers are now one game away from going to a bowl and their next two opponents are both very beatable. Um, and then your their, their last opponent, uh, Wisconsin is roughly, uh, I wouldn't say exactly on the same level because I think Wisconsin should be favored, but uh, they're, they're certainly beatable. Yes, they're flawed and still trying to work through whatever it is that whole offensive thing is. Um, but Braylon Allen is still good. And you know how I, how I know he's still good? Huh. I watched the, uh, the game Wisconsin played two weeks ago in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, yes, nice, uh, nice pivot. Yeah, yeah. But my 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 Segway game is not always as strong, um, but I feel good about that one. At least it felt good coming off the hand. Illinois is three and five. They are last in the Big Ten West somehow because of Northwestern winning two games. The only win that Illinois has in conference is a weird upset against Maryland. Their last game was a four-point loss to Wisconsin. They lost by 13 to Nebraska. They got blown out by Purdue. They made a weird game against Penn State that lost. And uh, otherwise, they've just kind of been a very middling team. I think they're better than last place. Uh, but I also will admit up front, this, was, this, this is the opponent I've probably least 
researched the least this season. Um, sometimes you've got a friend in town and your birthday and uh, an onset wave of depression, and it's all to, it all just kind of limits your ability to to watch a middling to bad football team. But I tried to watch what I could, and I did a little bit of research. Uh, on offense, Barry Lunny Jr. is still the offensive coordinator, and I still like him. They find as many ways as possible to run the ball, um, especially with pulling linemen. Expect lots of counter, lots of power, lots of read option and play action off of power and counter looks, which will require a lot of discipline, especially from the Gophers linebackers. They have been fairly efficient offensively, throwing and running, but I've really had no big plays. I like Reggie Love, their top running back, but he's not a Reggie Torben type. He's no. not super explosive. He's just pretty decent. I, I like his vision and his agility. The acceleration and speed are just fine. He did not play against Maryland, and I don't believe he played against Wisconsin either because of an injury against Nebraska. I do not know his status for Saturday. Uh, we will probably see Caden Fagan, who played a lot against Wisconsin and looked okay. 6'3", 250 means he's going to be tough to bring down. Mm-hmm. And uh, same for the guy behind him, Josh McRae, 6'1", 235. Jeez. So uh, McRae has never really made a big impact in college. He's averaging just over three and a half yards per carry this season, and he averaged less than three yards per carry last year. Granted, that was on 19 carries. At quarterback, Luke Altmeyer is the guy, the Mississippi transfer. He's not awful. He has time to get better. He's a redshirt sophomore. But you can you can see him make some really bad decisions, especially under pressure. He also had a play against Penn State where he threw an interception. He just didn't see as a linebacker there, which sometimes happens with college quarterbacks. His accuracy is up and down. He can underthrow sometimes. He can sometimes make a really good throw. And, and in fact, I, I mentioned his problems under pressure, which I, I think is the key here. You, you got to put him on, on under a lot of pressure, which Penn State was able to do sometimes with four, sometimes with the blitz because they're Penn State. Um, one of Altmeyer's best throws in that game, he was just getting walloped by a pass rusher. So he has some talent, I, I think, and can make things work in, in that situation. But, uh, he's fairly mobile, not like a blazer or anything but especially against wisconsin he was asked to do a lot of running and looked capable of it and and made a few plays i don't think you have to worry about him the way that you would have if sam levitt had played the whole game on saturday or against jeff sims or heinrich harberg or any of these you know proper like dual threat quarterbacks i think altmeyer is just you know you give him a b or b minus in terms of mobility yeah In the receiving core, you still have Isaiah Williams, the converted quarterback. They're asking him to go downfield more instead of just saying, here's the ball, do something with it. Casey Washington is also still here, as well as Pat Bryant, both of whom have not been hugely impactful. But Pat Bryant does have five touchdowns on the season on 24 catches. Casey Washington is a fifth-year player, and he's never had a receiving touchdown, if you can Hmm. believe it. It'd be nice if he would get one before he left college because of his, his last year of eligibility. Ideally, it's wouldn't not be this week. yeah, not this week. But I, I don't think super highly of Washington or Brian. I think they're fine, just fine. Same with their tight end, Tip Ryman. Got 14 catches for 156 yards and a couple touchdowns this year. 
they will bring out a lot of tight ends because it's Burt and uh, they still do some, some 13 personnel stuff. Griffin Moore, Tanner Arkin, Henry Boyer, they're just kind of there, but, you know, expect to see them. The, uh, the line is not outstanding, not terrible. They, like I said, they run the ball pretty well. They don't open up like huge holes or anything. They, they have a, a good bit of experience. Julian Pearl has been there forever. Isaiah Adams and Zy Chrysler are veterans. Their center is Josh Krutz, his dad. You may know oh. from uh, many years with the Bears, Olin Krutz. But uh, I don't think Josh has necessarily made a huge mark in college. So anyway, the, the summary of this offense is um, if you play Ben, don't break, it should work. They're not good in the red zone. They don't have explosiveness in them. I mean, you could probably get away with playing the run and, and trying to make life hell for, for Luke Altmeyer and, and probably have a pretty decent day and not have to worry too much about getting beat over the top. As long as you keep them out of goal to go situations, I, I think you should be all right. The Illinois defense is having some trouble after losing after losing Walters, their defensive coordinator, to Purdue. Aaron Henry uh, moved up from defensive backs coach up to defensive coordinator. They're staying with that sort of 3-4 type of thing they've been going with, but just not getting as much done. They lost a lot of really important players. Obviously, that included Devin Witherspoon, their NFL cornerback and some other good uh, defensive backs. But uh, the secondary is actually doing okay this year. They're, they're 94th in success rate allowed against the pass, but they're not giving up explosive plays. But uh, the run defense is more of a problem where they're 118th in line yards per carry allowed, 110th in stuff rate allowed, 97th in success rate allowed. They're just, they're not very disruptive up front. Their pass rush hasn't been very good either. Um, which, you know, they did lose some important bodies there, but they do have Seth Coleman still. They do still have um, Jerzon Newton, although Newton was ejected for targeting against Wisconsin, so he will miss the first half of the Minnesota game, which will be significant. Um, but it seems like they've got kind of a not, uh, it would be unfair to call them scrubs, but similar to a Stars and Scrubs situation in the, the front seven because Newton is really good. Randolph, Keith Randolph Jr. is really good. Um, Coleman is really good, but they rotate a ton of guys through the linebacker spots and a ton of guys through the defensive line. And there's not really been anyone who's stood out. Um, Gabe Ackes is, is still around uh, the true sophomore. They've been playing a, a young guy, Dylan Rosiek, and then uh, another sophomore, Kanina Adaluga, um, but no one has made a huge mark so far. There, there's more youth in the uh, the secondary that has been a little bit more impactful, um, but uh, it's you know no, no one like you really have to worry about except maybe Tavion Witherspoon, the the cornerback uh, who goes by Taz. But I don't see a lot of star power here. So, uh, you know, like I said, they're, they're not going to give up big plays. So kind of just take what you can get, take care of the ball, because they're going to try to do the same thing as the Gophers, which is bring clock, control the game, make it, you know, low possession, make every possession count a little bit more. 
Um, and we've seen how that can hurt the Gophers against Illinois in the past. So the important thing is to, to protect the ball and to, uh, you know, maybe not get too greedy. Just, you know, keep the ball moving and, uh, you know, maximize your drives when, when you have them because you're not going to have a lot of them. The uh, projections are favoring Minnesota across the board, some more confident than others. FPI is at 59% chance Minnesota wins. Massey has up to 74%. Projections are in the 17 to 24, 17 to 27, 20 to 27 range. Not super high scoring, um, but right around the, the over under at 43 and a half. Vegas's spread when I last checked was, was two points in favor of the Gophers. Um, how are you feeling coming into this? I feel mostly good. I think it'll probably be a little closer just because, like you said, the pace of these two teams and just the nature of the style of play. Um, I think it will come down to, as we always say, I mean, you know, turnovers matter, of course. Um, I mean, Illinois, it's, it seems like they do. They're not as quite – they don't seem as bad as their record indicates – uh, maybe on at points on defense they have been. I don't know. They they just seem really media exceptionally mediocre, if that even. Um, so I I think we'll win. I'd probably go like a twenty to fourteen. I think it'll probably be pretty close. Again, I just I don't think I don't think it'll be a blowout. But Illinois is just kind of uninspiring to me. Yeah, I I, I think they're they're. Yeah, aggressively mediocre. I have the exact same score in, in my notes for my prediction, which I think is the second straight week we've had that happen. Uh, I guess I don't know the remainder of their schedule. They haven't played Iowa yet, but, you know, it, it will be something of a struggle to to make it to a bowl, but they're still dangerous enough and competent enough to to make life hard on, on a couple opponents, and the Gophers are not so good that they shouldn't, you know, be worried about this game, you know. Uh, um, I, 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 I'm not like super, super confident, but I think the Gophers will win. Kickoff mm-hmm. is 2.30 on Big Ten Network. It'll be about 40, 42 degrees, mostly cloudy, not terribly windy, 5, 6 mile per hour winds. Connor Onion and Matt Millen will be on the call, so for all of you watching on TV, I'm very sorry. <laughs> The other Big Ten games this weekend, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Nebraska, Michigan State, uh, as well as Ohio State Rutgers, are in the morning slot. Uh, Ohio State Rutgers is the CBS game somehow, so, you know. Brutal. Yeah, pretty pretty bad there. 2.30 on Fox, Penn State, Maryland, and 2.30 on Peacock, live from Wrigley Field, is Iowa Northwestern. Do not watch that game. And at 6 30 on NBC, Purdue at Michigan. Also, probably not worth watching, in part because there's actually a pretty good slate this weekend. Um, yeah. And I think the, the way I've kind of been thinking about this weekend is I think it gets better as the day goes on. Um, the early slots are just sort of okay, um, although there are certainly good games. But I think the early slots are okay, and as it gets later, it just gets sort of better and better and better. And we'll see how it plays out, but that's sort of my general assessment. Um, just go through some games. Yeah, go, go ahead. I, I, I've got a few I've, I've identified as interesting, but we probably overlap a lot. 
Yeah, so obviously K-State at Texas is a match of ranked teams. You know, Texas has been mostly very good. Um, so I don't, I don't know if this will be great, but um, certainly anytime you have a, multiple ranked teams, you know, a game that feels uh, high stakes, um, that one could be good. A&M at Ole Miss. I know Ole Miss is ranked 10th right now, and I know they've had, um, by and large, a very good season. Um, again, the only loss was to somewhat close-ish non-blowout to Alabama. Uh, but Ole Miss is a good team. But looking at A&M, A&M is not terrible. Um, they also they played uh, Alabama closer than Ole Miss did. They lost a good game to Tennessee. Um, they lost to Miami, who was playing a lot better, I think, at that point in the season. Granted, they haven't really beaten anybody. I mean, Arkansas and South Carolina aren't super inspiring wins. But I think that could be a an underrated sort of sort of game that has potential, um, even if the, you know, AM isn't a ranked team, if it's not a super ballyhooed game. Um, obviously, Notre Dame at Clemson, you know, Clemson is inconsistent, but still very talented. I have to shout out Campbell at UNC. It's my friend and his wife. I think his wife is a student at Campbell and he is a student. They're both graduate med- medical and grad students, respectively. Um, at North Carolina, so that's a big, it's a big game in that house. So shout out to them. Um, won't be good probably, but you know, <laughs> still fun. Other than that, in the early slot, I don't got much. Uh, going to the late in the mid the afternoon, of course, we'll be watching the Gopher game. Uh, but Missouri at Georgia, you know, uh, do I expect to be close? No, but Missouri has been pretty surprising this year. Um, better than most people anticipated. I anticipate their ranking would peak at 12 because that's generally what happens when you play George when you're on a roll and you come into, you know, you know, at, uh, in, in Athens, but, um, we'll see. Bedlam, I mean, just kind of enough said, you know, um, is this the last one? This is probably the last one for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's, that game is, uh, as we often say, it's sort of reliably drunk. Um, there's a lot of hatred, a lot of bad blood, especially with Oklahoma on the way out. So um, that should be very good. Uh, don't like Louisville Vatech. Tulane at East Carolina, do not like. The Big Ten games generally are uh, not great. Uh, James Madison at Georgia State. Um, yeah, I know James Madison is not eligible for the postseason, which is stupid. Uh, but them and Georgia State are both very good teams. James Madison probably favored, uh, but uh, that defense is very, very good. Uh, you said you're not huge on uh, Virginia Tech Louisville, but Virginia Tech is very quietly, after a rough start, like sort of climbing back up to respectability. Um, yeah. I'm not saying they're like great or anything, and, and Louisville looks to be like legit really, really good um at least by ACC standards so like maybe they go out and and, and just blow them out but I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by what uh Virginia Tech might have here I'd buy that I think Louisville is just again Louisville is very impressed in their last win over Duke so that's kind of my line of thinking there but I I buy that other games Coastal at ODU is would probably be more interesting in previous years the rest of that sort of slot isn't great. Uh, do not watch Auburn at Vandy. Just do not. 
Monroe. The direction of some FCS football. Yeah, sure. During that, I got more for the late slot, but of course. But yeah, if you got anything in that slot, we got the Dakota Marker game, two o'clock. All right, let's do it. And you know, decent chance South Dakota State blows out North Dakota State because that's the way the Bison and the Jacks are this year. But it's still the Dakota Marker game. NDSU still has some guys. They're still six and two. You know, it could be a good game because that tends to be a really good game. Yeah, and you know, again, like I said, bad blood, right? Bad blood. Yeah. Um, they, they 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 hate. Um, and then moving on to the night games, the most hype game. Uh, well, the the two ranked matchups are are both really good. Um, or could be good. I think Washington will beat USC. USC has really kind of fallen off a cliff. Um, but How many Wa- points for Washington? What do you say? How many points for Washington? I'll go 50. I'll go 50 even. Okay. Uh, but USC also, you know, if they don't turn the ball over, USC does tend to also score a lot of points. <laughs> you know, that hasn't been as much the issue as the defense has been. Um, so... You know, Williams versus Penix, that, that's a matchup of two of probably the top five NFL draft picks next year, depending on how things go. So, yeah, that one should be that one should be fun at the very least, even if I do think Washington is the better, more complete team. Uh, Kentucky, Mississippi State, probably not capital G great, but possibly watchable. Um, Rice is a little bit up this year. Uh, and... I, I won't say I watched some of their game against Tulane, and Tulane is very good, and I thought Rice hung hung well against them. Um, they're playing SMU. Uh, LSU at Bama, you know, probably a down year for that game, but that's always hype. And then, yeah, I don't know. I don't – Colorado's obviously, you know, what they are, but that game against Oregon State, I don't know. Maybe they maybe they tap into some of that, that September magic and – you know, play, play, play their hearts out and play better. I don't, I don't think they will. I think Oregon State's a better team, but who knows? So that's kind of my, my thoughts on the games. Do you have any others? Boise, Fresno, possibly? That one, yeah, I think that's a really good late, late slot. Oregon State, Colorado will probably not be interesting, but you got good players out there, so maybe some cool stuff happens. Boise and Fresno, it's down year for, for Boise, but um, they still have a, an inherent floor, um, and Fresno State is still really good. So, you know, it, it's worth keeping an eye on. UCLA, UCLA, Arizona is also interesting because Arizona just keeps making things really difficult for other teams without yeah. really winning a lot. Great year. Uh, for Jed Fish, former gopher great. That's that's true. Yes. Uh, and and meanwhile, we got UCLA, who is I think we all agree is pretty good, but they've just sort of flown under the radar because they're not like elite, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that could be fairly evenly matched. Sacramento State, Montana, seven o'clock on ESPN mm-hmm. plus more great big sky action that uh, they've they got uh, either three or four losses between the two. So uh, worth keeping an eye on. And the only other game I'll, I'll shout, or the other two games I'll shout out um, in the evening. Marshall, App State, 5 o'clock in NFL Network. Yeah. You have NFL Network. Uh, and then Kansas, Iowa State. Yeah, Iowa State, Iowa State feels like they've been a little down this year. Uh, but 
should still be interesting. I guess they're five and three. Wow, that that came quick, but yeah. Yeah, they um they they've kind of rebounded and had a you know sort of like Virginia Tech, sort of like Nebraska, sort of like these teams that we kind of forgot about after September. We wrote off as ah, they suck. Like they they've they've kind of put together a pretty solid season, especially by Iowa State standards. So it's a um, long it, you know it's a long it's a long season. I mean, it's not. It doesn't feel like that, but. You know, teams can absolutely grow and improve and change, and uh, that's a good that's a good thing. You know, and these teams, just because a team isn't elite doesn't mean they're not good. You know, just because a team's bad or mediocre at the beginning of the year doesn't mean they won't be good by the end of the year. You know, there's these other things that come into play, other dynamics. Or maybe they're pretty good, but they just have the worst fumble luck on earth. Yeah. Um, such as uh, the the team I have on my television right now, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Ah yes, ah yes. They're they're in a great Southwest Conference matchup against TCU right now. Love I I the 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 red versus scarlet or the the purple and black versus scarlet and black looks very nice in my opinion, and uh, it looks very natural. And they play for I forget what the the official name of it is, but uh, the it's been branded way back this game as the West Texas championship or something like that. Cause Fort Worth is nowhere near West Texas, but it's like the last sort of population before you hit West Texas, which is pretty devoid of population. And uh, these games have been kind of chippy and there've been some classics and, you know, looking forward to as soon as we're, we're done here committing my night to that. But anyway, uh, I'm out of games to talk about this weekend. It's a good slate. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, it, it's not like a leap, but we got a lot of ranked versus ranked matchups. A lot of potential for each of those to become blowouts. But, um, you know, it, it, it's we, we got enough on the plate to, you know, try different things, see what's good, see what's not. And uh, you, you'd have to think most, you know, that there will be something in each window to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's nothing else you want to mention before we head out uh, no no then we will uh, sign off for the week everyone have a good weekend and next week we'll, we'll talk about Purdue alright peace All right.